that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the games that left an impression on us as kids, put on some rose-tinted glasses and reminisce about it, then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we'll be heading to the North Crater and talking about Final Fantasy VII for PlayStation. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. We're all aboard the high wind, so let's go! Let's do it! So, episode 40... For real this time. For real. <laughs> well, timing wasn't perfect for recording everything. Uh, the big thing really was also, we have so much to say. And I didn't think dropping a like three hour episode on everyone was a smart idea. Nobody wants that. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants that. So in case you're unaware, we had an episode come out last week that was just our rose-tinted thoughts on our the game, Final Fantasy VII. So go back, take a listen to that, see what we had to say before we had a chance to say the game, because we're not doing it in this episode. We're skipping that segment. Check that episode out. There's another reminder. There's going to be another small episode out next week where I'm going to talk about the remake, and I'm just going to go into my thoughts on the remake. I'm going to discuss some of the main points of it, any of the changes that were made. So... You're getting three weeks of Final Fantasy VII. Yay! Yay, because there's so much to talk about. But again, really appreciate everyone for understanding. Also, really appreciate, as always, everyone joining us over on our streams as we've been playing. Uh, Always great to see you guys there. Also over on social media. We love hearing from everybody on our social media pages. So definitely continue to do that. Find us at GWGW Show, either on Twitch or Instagram or on Twitter, uh, Facebook and YouTube. We're on games we grew up with. So check us out. We love hearing from you all. The stream for FF7 was particularly fun because everyone clearly loves this game. So yeah. it's it's great to see everyone pop out and talk and chat and it's good fun. But I think it's time to get into the meat of the episode. It's time for this episode's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Chris, what is our trope today? Our trope of the day slash episode is a guy dang it. (laughs) Katie, what can you tell me about guy dang it? This is where, in video games, where the game itself fails to give you sufficient information, we'll say. Sometimes no information whatsoever. Sometimes none. (laughs) Uh, Hints or anything that can help the player figure out what they're supposed to be doing. Especially, even if it's not plot-wise, it's in-game hidden stuff that there's just not even hints that something's there. That the only way you're going to find this out is from a guide. Or people spending hours and hours and hours looking through game code. Yeah. (laughs) Which will... Then be put online and be a guide. Also true. (laughs) So, some examples of this. First one I thought of was for any fighting game, but in particular, Mortal Kombat, 
how are you supposed to figure out the fatalities without a guide? Like, oh they no, give they you didn't the... tell anyone. Yeah, they give you the they give you the combos, but they don't give you the fatalities. Like, how are you supposed no. to know that? Or or in some of them, the animal a- animalities, and then the baby. There's so many different runs in Mortal Kombat. They never tell you. So I always end up doing the I punch you in the face when you're supposed to finish them, and it's always disappointing. <laughs> or just like uppercut and hope that does something cool yeah exactly <laughs> or you or you're trying so hard to get one of the fatalities and then they just fall over because you never get it in time <laughs> <laughs> you try to desperately yeah so another one would be in zelda almost all ganons to beat them at one point one of their stages because of course it's always a multi-stage fight you have to hit back the projectiles he's sending at you. And while it's almost like gamer knowledge at this point to try to hit back things that are thrown at you, especially if they happen to be a different color than all the other things being thrown at you, in Zelda games, they always hint at things happening. There's always a, this is how you learn to use a tool. This is how you you learn to use one of the newest weapons. You never do this mechanic at any other point in Zelda games, ever. Almost like ever do you ever do this except for in the Ganon fight. And so... I know as a kid, I didn't have all those gamer instincts yet. I didn't know better, and so I didn't know what to do. I was just avoiding getting hit. And then I think you might have told me, or I looked in the guide, and they're like, hit it back. And I was like, right. So in Soul Calibur 3, they've got the plot mode. There were branching paths, but there was only one true ending. And you could kind of say this for tons of games that have multiple endings. It's like, what's the real ending? Like... Uh, even in Metroid, there's multiple endings. How would you know that you have to save the animals? Yeah. And it's there, there's multiple. There's another one other than that, right? I think there's like doing a certain time or there's yeah. there's definitely two or three. And again, for, for any of those games, most of the time you wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, sure, the instinct is the animals helped you. You should help them. But if you don't have time... That's not your problem. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone for themselves. So in Assassin's Creed 2, one of my favorite games, by the way, there's a puzzle that requires you to replace modern numbers with the versions of those numbers in Morse code. Yeah. It's one of those like complete, as you said with the Ganon thing, complete gameplay shift, complete UI shift half the time. Like... You had, there was no way you could have known that that's what they were looking for without someone no. having told you. Like, it's yeah. insane. I felt like half of Echo. You didn't know what it was this. No, you were just wandering around. Like, half of the Echo game, you didn't know what you were doing. As as we said in the Echo episode, that game was an auteur artistic project <laughs> with the game thrown in there. Uh, so... Definitely that. And we didn't even get to the point that specifically when I was looking for examples of this trope online, that they're like, if you get to this one boss to beat the boss, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, because you don't deal with bosses the whole game until suddenly there's an alien shooting crap. Yeah. (laughs) And we didn't even get that far. Obviously, in Final Fantasy VII, there's some stuff that, why would you know that? Like, Chocobo breeding... Some of it you could get from the sage. Okay, but how are you supposed to know to go find the sage? Because you explore. (sighs) No. Oh, 
I went back to the stage like four times because I didn't trigger something enough or it wasn't long enough. He kept saying the same Uh. stupid thing over and over again. (laughs) And then I realized you have to go do a certain amount of things and then go back to him. But I wouldn't know that. It doesn't even say that in the guide. That was online. Why would you know about half of the limit breaks on how to get them? Exactly. Like Vincent's of you have to take the submarine down a weird random crevice on the side of the lake mountain and appear in a lake. Mm -hmm. And he's got to be in your party. And he has to be in your party. Same with Barrett and getting his final weapon. If you don't have him in your party, you're not getting his final weapon. Which, how are you supposed to know that? (laughs) And some of them, like, it's just, they're so obscure, like the Turtle Paradise Flyers. Some of them are just really hidden that if you didn't know, especially the one in the Shinra headquarters, you have two chances to see it. If you miss it, that's it. You can't Mm -hmm. go back. There's just a lot of those elements. And a lot of, I will say, this is not just Final Fantasy VII. A lot of Final Fantasy games are like this. But, of course, we're going to highlight the Final Fantasy VII ones that we're running into. Yeah. You run into this in pop culture as well. Mostly things like, TV shows or movies where it's like you wouldn't know something unless you read like the novelization. Oh, I was like, where are you going? Or like yes. the supplemental material that comes out way afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I mean, most of the time, I guess you don't need to know that information, but. Yeah, but it's little things that are important. Like, <laughs> This always comes up, I feel like, with Lord of the Rings, where you talk to someone like, well, if you read the similar, similar, I never say the name right. Simulacron? No, Similarion? Oh, God, we're going to have Lord of the Rings fans after us. If you read the other book, and it's like Appendix 6D, that's how you find out that this character did this. Like, oh, my God, I shouldn't need to read that. I mean, Dune literally had a glossary in the back of it. Indeed. Dune. (laughs) But yeah, so basically, this trope is all about hiding stuff from the player, giving zero hints whatsoever that they're there. But not an Easter egg. This is just like, we're just hiding it because good luck. Yeah. And we hope, and, and that's the random happenstance, random trying over and over again is the only way to learn it otherwise, and that's nonsense. Uh, but that's why, guide dang it, is our video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! I really wanted to do a chocobo noise, and then I realized I don't know good chocobo noise. Wark. <laughs> Alright, so it is time to talk about the game of the episode. The game that we know and love. But, Katie, what can you tell me about some of the basic info about Final Fantasy VII? Well, Final Fantasy VII came out for the PlayStation in 1997, and it was developed by Square, or Square Enix as they are now, Square Soft as they were known in the U.S. at the time. Square. It's Square who did this. Yeah. And the initial concepts for this game began all the way back in 1994, right after the completion of Final Fantasy VI tracks, right when they're done one, they start working on the next one. Because it was started back in 94, they actually were initially planning for this game to be a 2D game on the SNES, But then they took a break on developing FF7 because they worked on Chrono Trigger instead in 1995. So that's where a lot of their resources went to for a bit. So once they finally decided to go back to Final Fantasy VII once Chrono Trigger was done, that's when they decided to switch development to the 3D instead of doing a 2D engine. Now, this was a risky choice back then because there really weren't a ton of 3D games back then and there wasn't a lot of development around them. This was a huge risk at the time, but they really felt like they wanted to make that change. 
we mentioned this in our Final Fantasy VI episode, but they kind of already knew that the cartridges were no longer going to be large enough for these kind of games. But especially once they hit those 3D models, they really couldn't be on cartridges anymore. So they were mm-hmm. looking at a couple different things. Definitely not SNES. When by time development was going through, they didn't knew it wasn't <clears throat> going to be there. So they were looking at the N64 and then even considered both the PC and the Sega Saturn. But really, N64 was their other options because of their relationship with Nintendo up to this point. Um. However, I wonder what would have happened if they had released it on Sega Saturn. Like if that would have helped Sega? Would 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 have Sega Saturn have been a massive success or would have Final Fantasy just gone away? I don't know, that's a great question. It could have killed the Final Fantasy franchise. Or it could have made Sega. Yeah. I don't know. Cuz to be fair, this game helped make the PlayStation. It did. Because the PlayStation didn't exist before this. Like, that, this was right. a new thing. But, anyway, they did try it on the N64. They built a mini demo to try out on the development gear. And the behemoth monster that they had in the demo had 2,000 polygons. And it killed <laughs> the frame rate on the demo. Yes. And they're like, nope, can't do it on this. Not going to work. It would have needed 30 discs, which is oh hilarious. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> yeah. So... Ugh. Clearly, they decided to go with the new guy PlayStation with their CDs that they could fit a ton more data on, though it still took three CDs. Yes, as we said in the rows, three CDs. We hadn't played a game that was more than one. Yeah, this was... And this was three. There was three. Back to the development, though. Lots of the FF6 team did move on to FF7, and this was another time. So FF6 was the first time that the series creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, actually kind of started taking a step back from being as in control of the series as he was up to that point. This is a, so on FF6, that's where that started. He took another step back and was just a producer as opposed to like the executive producer of Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. He really started to just take a step back from the series and still participated in everything, but just decided not to be as involved as he was in the earlier series. Um, music was still, of course, by Nobu. He's still amazing and does everything. Oh, yeah. I thought the interesting thing about the music was originally... He really wanted high-quality sounding music because he's like, on CD, I have so much more room and I could do high-quality yeah. music. And then he tried to do it and it actually slowed down load time so much that he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. So he went back to the MIDI Fine, style. Fine, we'll go back to MIDI. <laughs> Which, I was Which like, I took the very elitist way of saying that in my notes and said that the music was from the system chip. <laughs> Which is the same damn thing. Yeah, but it's still amazing. But we'll get to that yes. one. Yes, I mean, yes. Uh, some fun facts about the game. Midgar is based on New York City. Huh. So the reason is because uh, Sakaguchi wanted to do actually a detective story in New York. That was his original concept for Final Fantasy VII is a detective style story in New York City. Amazing. Obviously, they abandoned that and were like, no. But they kept the stylized of like big, basic big city, everyone all yeah. close and everything to influence Midgar. But obviously the other big influence on Midgar is it looks like a pizza. And I always used to think that was a joke because like slices of a pizza like a joke. No, that was serious. Like they genuinely knew it looked kind of like a pizza, which is I why... I never even thought about that. Yeah, which is why in the remake, they actually have Jesse's mom make the Midgar special, which is a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, the mayor of Midgar <gasps> is Domino. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. And the yeah, I the plates are the slices. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> so Midgar's Mind a pizza. blown. 
<laughs> so I love that. I thought it was really interesting. Tifo was actually added as a later development. When they first started working on the game, they had three main characters, and it was Barrett, Cloud, and Aerith. Um, mm. Aerith, Aerith, yes, we're going to keep switching back and forth, <laughs> as we said in the rows. But when they basically made the decision that one of the main characters was going to die and that was likely going to be Eris, they wanted to add back in basically a female. Like, well, we still need that dynamic. So that's why they added the mm-hmm. Tifa character in to add that kind of dynamic back into the main party, which is why she starts out so early in the game. But she actually wasn't early in development, which is really interesting. Zach was very similar as well. Uh, the idea of having this soldier in Cloud's history was yeah. added very, very late in development. They always wanted Cloud to have that I he actually wasn't a soldier and it was all kind of fake history in his own brain. Mm-hmm. Spoilers for later, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they later added in Zach to be that kind of example. So it didn't seem as random, but also because specifically they already knew that Eris saw her old boyfriend in Cloud. And there were a couple different things that they were leading to like at one point Sephiroth was going to have been her boyfriend so that was a thing but when they decided against that they added Zack as that first love for her as well so that's where that character of Zack got developed which I again I like how these like they come back to these storylines and add these what are now kind of crucial storylines or characters oh, yeah. that were kind of later thoughts but kind of along those lines of adding changing plot lines later on in development Yuffie and Vincent mm-hmm. were actually almost cut Basically because they decided there wasn't enough time to go into their stories. And so they got really Uh worried that it was just going to be too overwhelming. And so the compromise was they were going to be optional characters. That is fair. So, yeah, you could just ignore all of that. Although I feel like Yuffie got way more than Vincent did. Which is why he got his own story eventually. So on to the critical responses. It's kind of more of a fun fact, but it goes into how hyped this game was going in before it even came out. So the demo for Final Fantasy VII in Japan came bundled with this game called Tobal Number no. 1. I know nothing of this game. Pretty much no one knows anything of this game in the West, uh, the Western regions. And it just mm-hmm. wasn't a very popular game in Japan either, except for the fact that because it was bundled with the Final Fantasy VII demo, it became the eighth highest selling game of 1996. You saw this with movies a lot, too, yes. where they would have the preview for a, a movie and, you know, it would announce in some other movie and people would just show up to watch the preview and then just leave. Obviously, this is before, you know, the Internet, so you couldn't just go onto YouTube and see the preview. But people would literally go to other movies, watch the preview for the movie they wanted to eventually see, and then just peace out. I, I think you still see... Well, I won't say still, like even as as recently as like a decade ago, you see that that demos for certain things like our like beta keys are released with other mm-hmm. games and, and people buy the heck out of those games and just go with the beta key and never play the actual game. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely still something that goes. Uh, but yeah, that's how hyped this this mm-hmm. game already was. It had 1.1 million pre-orders in Japan. And was considered sold out a week before the game ever came out. Uh, Which, again, this is 1997. That's insane numbers. Uh, Within three days of its release, it had sold 2.3 million copies in Japan. In North America, it sold 1.5 million copies in the first week. Broke the N64's spell of dominance in North America and kind of just kind of kicked in the door for, for PlayStation, really. And that's why that whole Sega Saturn that whole Sega Saturn question is really interesting because this established PlayStation as a true contender. 
was this game. There's there's some other history in there with Sega Saturn too, where they only released like seven games. Also true. Or whatever. Like Sega Saturn was a mess. Like the alternate history is more what would have happened if it just came out on Sega Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. By nineteen ninety eight, the game had sold more than six million copies worldwide. Upon the release of the Ultimate Hits version in two thousand seven, it's thought that more than 10 million units have been sold for the PlayStation version alone. And that's such an insane number because they've since released it digitally on the PS3, the PS4, the Switch. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine how many copies of this game have been sold on non-PlayStation versions. But 10 million on just PlayStation versions is insane. Yeah. I, I really want to know how many of those are. I guess with the, the greatest hits or ultimate hits version, it's probably new players. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of the more recent stuff, like the PS3, PS4, Switch is... Our, our old players going back and playing it again. Yeah, I mean, you could get players that are JRPG fans that have never had the opportunity because there are those people because we're old. Yeah, so. and I, I definitely think that there are going to be people who definitely if their friends had talked about this game for years and years and years and they finally see it on the downloadable on the PlayStation 3 store yeah. and so they're like screw it I'll buy it I was going to say says the two people that use the SNES mini and emulators for the previous six versions in this series for the first time ever really playing them probably. yeah <laughs> but that like it's just it's crazy and I, we go into the sales and everything like that because you know critic response we say this for almost every game we play. I was going to say, don't that's, say it, but say it. say it. It's great. They had a great response. Of course they did. Sales prove that. All of that proved it. Yeah. The, you know, and to be fair, we're not going to care what the critics say because we love this game. We've said that a million oh, yeah. times. It's hard to get good critical scores from back when it came out just because people have gone back and reviewed it like retrospectively so much. So all the scores get kind of mixed out there now. Yeah. It was in the 90s. Everyone loved it. People thought it was like a modern wonder, basically. Uh, the only negative critiques I could find when the game first come out, came out was how linear it was at times, which, yeah, valid, uh, and that the translation of the original game was not great all the time. Also valid. Uh, also very valid. <laughs> also valid. Also, the guide is full of typos. So many typos in the guide. Also, <laughs> there are different versions of the guide out there, we found out. Yeah, we literally just found this out, like... A week before recording that one of our longtime viewers was like, oh, you've got the tiny version of the guide. Yeah. We were like, what? Mine was way There's bigger, but not colored. Bigger? Like, what? But even then, Chris has our original one we had as kids. I went and bought a second guide for me because we did a challenge where we only could use the guide and not internet guide. Yeah. Playing the game. Our guides don't say the same thing sometimes. I don't have some of the information Chris has, which I know, is that's wild. That's so weird. That's, we will we will post a picture. I will post a picture on social media of of the original guide because it is it is well worn, <laughs> uh, well loved, well 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 loved. Uh, beyond that, so we often talk about are there remakes out? Did we pay one of the remakes? Obviously, Final Fantasy VII is has a remake of its own. I'm doing a whole episode of the remake, <laughs> not the remasters again that came out for like Switch and the the digital right. remasters. Full remake, it came out in 2020, and it had been announced in 2015 after years and years of speculation. So this game had been coming forever in a day. 
You'll hear more about the details of that game and develop into that game in the next episode. We'll cover it then. But yes, of course, there's a remake of the game. But beyond remake, this game has a bunch of side content that only exists outside of the main game, which, while not quite our trope of guide dang it, there's a lot of lore that only gets told in these side avenues and not in the main game that are 100% canon that fans now talk about that I don't think they fully realize wasn't in the full game if they did all these side games. So this is so weird because I know almost none of these. It just wasn't on my radar at the time for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's really interesting. And I talk about in the rows that I played a lot of these, but there were more than I yeah. even was aware of. So we're going to go through this. This is officially known now as the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. First thing released was Before Crisis in 2004. That is seven years after the original game, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy when you think about it. It was released only in Japan, and it was a 24-episode subscription series mobile game. Jesus. Which is okay. <laughs> like, so which I don't is know, crazy like, because mobile gaming barely existed in 2004. Exactly. Then we have Advent Children, the film that came out in 2005. That is all post-game stuff. That's one that I knew about. Then there is The Last Order, Final Fantasy VII, which is another short film showing that was about the destruction of Nibelheim. This was released also in 2005. It's not officially called part of the compilation anymore since the remake came out. They've actually adjusted that. So that's really interesting. I think they're too, that's a history change that they're going through. So I found that fascinating that it's not officially part of the compilation anymore. Didn't oh, know about welcome, that until now. Welcome though. to the Star Wars EU. Uh, pretty much. Dirge of Cerberus, which was in 2006 for PS2. I did play this. This is a first and third person shooter featuring Vincent. So this is where you talk about he didn't have as much history. We get a lot more about Vincent in Dirge of Cerberus. Crisis Core, I think, is the best known one of all of these. It came out in 2007 on the PSP. So again, not many people played this game. I was going to say all all 30 people that owned a PSP. Me. Including you. Yes. This game was featuring Zack. So this is a whole game of Zack's history, all of his kind of experiences. It better explains how Cloud gets to where he is and how what Cloud adapted personality-wise mm-hmm. stuff. So then the next one, of course, is actually the remake. The remake came out in 2020, <laughs> as I mentioned. Then after the remake, which literally called Final Fantasy VII Remake, then we have Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the sequel to the remake. It's continuing the story, set to come out in 2023. Then... There's Final Fantasy VII First Soldier, which is a free-to-play Battle Royale multiplayer that apparently came out in 2021. Never heard of this. I hate it. I hate it as a concept. Not that I've ever played it, but of course that's a thing You're playing as a bunch of soldiers back in the war. And then Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, also set to come out sometime this year as a mobile release as an episodic game that will cover compilation titles while adding new material for the remake. So that might be a good way of covering all of these games if you're a really big fan without having to go back and get all the systems of all of these games. There's a lot. Final Fantasy VII is evolved so far beyond just the game. It's it the it's a universe. It's an EU. It's a <laughs> it's the it's the the FFCU. It's the <laughs> <laughs> oh no, G- that's G- a bad word. <laughs> uh, oh, 
awesome. Uh, FFGU. Final Fantasy yes. Game Universe. Oh, but it's not even like it's a media universe. It's like FFMU. That's true. So it's just massive. Because this game was so popular, because this game was so big, because it has such a crazy fan base, this game is more than a game at this point. It's a life of its own. <laughs> I know. We've we've said it before. It's just a cultural touchstone. It's an icon. Like, cloud I, I, with the buster sword. Yeah, I... I put this on one of our social media comments is it's it's a monolith in gaming at this point mm-hmm. which is why we have so much to say about it and at this point normally we would be segueing to our rose segment but as i mentioned earlier you already have our rose segment it's episode 40.5 that came out a week before this one so if you haven't had a chance to do it hey pause the episode here go back and listen to 40.5 it fits in perfectly right here and then come on back and finish the rest of the episode we'll wait no, we won't, because it was 45 minutes long. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you five seconds to come back from the pause. <laughs> I can't even wait five seconds. I'm so impatient. Let's go. All right. No rose. Time to talk about the plot. We are going to try to do this as briefly as possible for a game that was three discs long. To be fair, most of the plot was only on discs one and two. That's true, and barely any of it was on two anyways. Yeah, so so 90% of the plot. Talking about the guide again, the guide goes from page about 20 to page 125 on disc one, from 125 to one, like, 50 for disc two, so... Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very front-loaded with the plot. Yeah, plot on disc three is only about four pages in the guide. (laughs) Yeah. And that's because of pictures. (laughs) (laughs) so plot we set our scene with the terrorist group avalanche because i'm gonna call them what they are the terrorist group avalanche with leader barrett trying to break into and blow up a mako plant mako plant damn you influence of the remake saying mako a mako plant to save the life of the planet i'm gonna say mako i'm gonna say mako i'm being influenced i just played the remake again right 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 mako plant they are joined by ex-soldier, that's all capital soldier, because it's a rank, <laughs> Cloud, who's a mercenary for hire who's helping out for his childhood friend, Tifa. Shinra actually screws with him and plays the PR game and actually blows up the plant way worse than they did. Shinra being the company that owns all of the Mako plants. And half the world. And basically. half the world. In a, you don't find this out in the main game. You find out Shinra takes over after the war because they basically helped build the world back up after everything was destroyed from the war of with Wutai. Yep. So Shinra, yes, owns the plant, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna let this happen because we want to create bad PR for this terrorist group." So we actually blow up the plant ourselves and make it way worse explosion than it was supposed to be. From there, we continue to work with Avalanche and are gonna go blow up a second plant. We meet a flower girl named Eris. Aerith in the Japanese version and later versions, but Eris in the original playthrough. Skipping a lot of details <laughs> because we have to. We learn she's yeah. part of an ancient race, ancient race called the Ancients or Serta, uh, who are the ones basically the originals of the world and who can still communicate with the planet and the life stream. Shinra has basically been experimenting on her up to this point because they want to get to the oh god what is 
Why am I playing on the term? Promised land. Because they want to get to the promised land because they think it's full of Mako that they could then sell. And that's part of the legends of the ancients is that they have access to the promised land. So they've been experimenting on Eris on and off. She's been freed for now, but she gets recaptured and Cloud's like, well, I'm going to go save you. So he goes to save her from Shinra. Because reasons, because he knew her for five minutes. I don't know. Uh, I, I was going to say, there's a lot left unstated there that very much shows your opinions, which are well known. Well established at this point. Yes. Uh, no, she gets kidnapped. It's not cool. Like, they do kidnap her and experiment on her. That's a problem. And so they go to save her. By the way, Soldier is a program run by Shinra. So Cloud does not yes. have a good feeling towards Shinra. He's not a fan of them. In particular, he left Soldier because his idol, his person he loved more than anything, the best soldier out there, Sephiroth, went cray-cray and burnt down his hometown and murdered his family and his everyone he cared about. And so after that, Cloud's like, yeah, no, this isn't cool anymore. <laughs> uh, and so he left. So, and and Sephiroth is dead at this point. They don't know how, but he knows he's dead. Sure. Except when we get to the Shinra building to rescue Aerith, lo and behold, the president of Shinra has been killed by Sephiroth. And a whole bunch of other people. Sephiroth just went on a a good old, good old spree. Yeah. And he stole... This creature, headless creature that we don't know about called Genova. He took it. He calls it Mother. He's like, I'm taking Mother back and steals it. It's weird. You find out that Genova is actually one of the original ancients. Again, one of the last of the ancients outside of Aerith. And so that's why Shinra had been keeping the body to experiment on it because they were using it again to try to use it to get to the promised land. From here, basically, after we find out that Cloud, uh, that not Cloud is still alive, after we find out that Sephiroth is still alive, obviously Cloud has a serious grudge against him because, you know, murder. Mm. Valid. Aerith is like, hey, he's going to do something bad. We have to stop him. So we leave Midgar to stop Sephiroth from causing destruction and problems. We leave Midgar after Shinra collapses one of the plates on top of the slums. Yeah. That you start the game in. Yeah, that the Avalanche the are based in. Yeah. So they as that a revenge is, against Avalanche, your... and because they kinda don't care, Shinra doesn't care, they collapse yeah. the plate and kill thousands of people. That was that was absolutely one of those uh raise the stakes moments. Mm-hmm. Which was which was I would say nice because it sounds horrible, but it, it was it, horrible. It, it took it seriously. Yes. Uh and so that's when we leave. We have to leave Midgar. We go to hunt down Sephiroth. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you can get optional characters, Vincent and Yuffie. Vincent, as we said, the former Turk, who's now a vampire werewolf thing, as established in the Rose section. Mm -hmm. And Yuffie, the ninja, who wants to steal all the materia. You also meet Kate Sith in the Golden Saucer and find out that he's a Shinra plant who's trying to screw with you, but not because he's also trying to help you. It's complicated. Yes. Sephiroth stole Genova because he believes it's his mother because he read notes that he basically is nothing but a construct. He's not really who he thought he was. He's not a real human in his own mind. He's a construct that was an experiment by the scientist Hojo. 
where he is basically parts of Genova's cells and a human male who he doesn't know at the time basically created him. He still thinks he's part of the ancients, but he's also really bitter because he's not really part of the ancients and he's also a construct. So he's having basically some serious mental issues also because he's, you know, this is a, we find out a projection of his half dead soul. Right. So he decides he's going to destroy the world. Because reasons. As you do. Because it'll also lead him to the promised land. He thinks it'll lead him to the promised land to rejoin his mother, which is insane. That's it. But the problem is, his cells, as well as Genova's cells, have been injected into a lot of ex-soldiers. And so you see them running around the game. There are these hooded dudes that just mumble to themselves, and they're like, Master Sephiroth, Sephiroth needs to do this. They seem to be controlled by him. And so he actually can kind of control their bodies. So you find out actually that the Sephiroth that we've been seeing up to this point of the game is him actually taking control of various ex-soldiers' bodies and basically possessing them. Mm -hmm. And the trauma of that is is not great for anybody involved. (laughs) So in order to destroy the world, he needs the Black Materia Meteor to destroy the world. Well, he gets it because Cloud hands it over because, hmm, he has a weird connection Mm, to Sephiroth. That's not foreshadowing at all. Hmm. But Eris decides she's the only one who can save the world. As the last of the ancients, there's a way the ancients can save the world, and she's the only one who can do it. So she abandons the party and goes to stop and save the world. We find out this is with the white materia holy, which is really interesting because in other games, holy is just a materia, a magic you can have. Yeah. You don't ever get the magic holy in Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah. I guess I never thought about that. Yeah. That's well. That's 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 not a mechanic that just exists in yeah, like that that uh, element, holy vice, undead, or anything like that. Yeah, like normally, it, undeads holy can affect them, and every Final yeah. Fantasy game, that's true. There is no holy in this game. Yep. So, Eris goes to the Temple of the Ancients to pray to activate holy to stop Meteor because Meteor is being activated by Sephiroth. So she's going to do this to protect the world. Sefi finds out by tracking through Cloud's brain, again, foreshadowing there's something going on there, and goes and murders the heck out of Eris in front of us. Oops. Runs her right through with that gigantic sword. Full-on murderized trauma for all. (laughs) And then, for whatever reason, we just let her drop the holy materia into the water. Because we were so traumatized. Meh. (laughs) <laughs> and then we drop her body into the water that's also really weird to me why don't we like bury her proper we don't also talk about the you know, biggest plot hole in this game why doesn't a phoenix down work right now I don't know go with the uh, Pokemon theory that you're knocked out not uh, not dead. dead dead except that's proved demonstrably false later on on what phoenix downs do yes exactly and then also it, speaking of, we forgot to mention Red 13 you meet in Shinra headquarters. He's another experiment yes. that they're experimenting on. You meet his dad, who's also part of his race, who is petrified. Soft doesn't work on his dad. Why? No idea. Just doesn't. Reasons. Plot reasons. Plot reasons. But after Eris is dead and Cloud is like, well, now I really have to kill Sephiroth because he killed Eris and we need to do it. I think it's the only way we can save the world is if we kill Sephiroth. Don't quite know why, but we're like, we're going to find something. We need to find what Eris was doing to stop Meteor, and maybe we can do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we go through this. We find out basically the only way that she actually, Eris did it. She activated Holy 
but Sephiroth's existence is preventing it from working properly. So we do, That's convenient. We do need to kill him in order for it to work. <laughs> and during this process, we get to meet Sid, who is in charge of the Shinra space program. The space program is important because they tried to use it in this game after even though it was retired and they didn't want to go to space anymore. They try to use his shuttle to blow up Meteor, which doesn't work. Does not work. But Sid but is But awesome. Sid got to go to space. And so. Sid got to go to space, and he is a pilot, and he gets to run or airship and be awesome so as i said we didn't know up to this point but basically the sephiroth we've been seeing up to this point is a construct that's actually possessing a bunch of those ex-soldiers because of their cells and genova cells in particular being inserted like injected into their bodies we find the actual sephiroth body is frozen in ice in the northern crater we get called to it as cloud because lo and behold cloud has genova cells he is one of these clone type beings He's a failed clone. He's a failed clone of Sephiroth. And so he's being called, which is why Sephiroth can control him and why he awoke Sephiroth. And Hojo, who is doing all the experiments, is mad that the failed clone is the one that did what he wanted all along, which was bring back Sephiroth. (laughs) And understandably, Cloud has a crisis of conscience after this of who am I? When am I real? I'm finding out that Hojo's telling me I never existed before three years ago. What is happening? Did Tifa lie to me this whole time? Is she not my childhood friend? What's going on? So he goes into a catatonic state because basically the Mako poisoning that's been in his system this whole time finally takes over and he's just catatonic. Mm -hmm. Which led to a super, super surreal segment of the game. Yes, where we go into his brain. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a bunch of clouds and then like a gigantic holographic cloud floating above the entire Mm -hmm. area. And so we find out in his memories, he was never in Soldier. He failed. He was only a regular like pleb of Shinra. And... His best friend in this process is Zack, who was the actual soldier who owned the Buster Sword. The Buster hmm. Sword was originally Zack's. But he did encounter Sephiroth. They did go back to his hometown. All this real. He isn't a clone entirely. He was a real person who went through all these experiences. And then at the end of the Sephiroth thing, when Sephiroth burnt down his town, Cloud killed Sephiroth. That is a fact. Cloud actually is the one <laughs> who kills the original body of Sephiroth. Mm-hmm. But that caused, you know, he also was almost fatally killed in that process as well. Zack tries to drag him, or no, I think he actually tries to drag Zack out of that process because Zack almost is killed. And Hojo finds them and is like, experiment time, experiment time. Neat. And so he experiments on them. And that's when Cloud is injected with all of the Mako, with all of the Genova cells. That's when he gets all of that happening to him as well as Zack. So they both get screwed up. So they share this really, really weird bond as they're being experimented on together. And they already had these shared memories of being friends. When they finally do escape being experimented on, they run to Midgar to become mercenaries because they're like, we don't have anything better to do. At this point, Cloud is basically in a catastonic state when he escapes from being an experiment. Zack is just talking to him. Zack's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be mercenaries. We're going to do this. We're best friends. I'll always take care of you. And then Shinra catches up to them and kills Zack. And just leaves Cloud for for dead because he's basically catatonic. And something triggers in Cloud at this point that he wakes up, sees the Buster Sword, and merges his memories of Zack and Zack's history with his own because of the Mako poisoning so screwed up his brain, which is how we meet ex-soldier Cloud in Midgar later, or at the start of the game. 
That is the full explanation this, for how that happened. This was covered in the game. Yes. I, I have very vague memories of that whole Zack timeline thing. It is covered in the game. You're absolutely correct. The reason you have vague memories is 90% of what I just described was in an optional section of the game. Oh. You only see these cutscenes explaining how all of this happened of the experiments of the escaping together and all these memories if you go back to Nibelheim on the third disc. Oh, I did see that in the guide. It was like, I don't even remember seeing this in the guide, but I do when I went. It's in the extras section. Uh, It says exposition, which I don't have time for Right. right now. But literally, one of the most crucial elements of to explain yeah. this plot of how our main character turns out the way he is was optional. Yeah, well, they're running out of steam at this point. Ugh, so are mine. <laughs> yeah. Good news. We're pretty much almost done. Yes. So Tifa wakes him up from this trauma, saves him from that, basically tells him he is a real person and even though he stole some of the memories, he's still a real person. He can honor Zack. We can still honor Eris. We can do all of that. We just have to kill Sephiroth. So we go to the Northern Crater where his actual body is and he's kind of awakened now because of Meteor and go kill him before Meteor hits the Earth and we do it. Huzzah. We win. But Meteor might still be coming because it might have been too late. And then we sit and watch the final animation as Holy springs to life and saves the world. And that's the end of the game. Everyone's at Shinra. Like, all the leadership is kind of sort of dead. Not really, but kind of sort of dead. And so Reeves is the one who ends up taking over leadership, which he's the one who's been sympathetic through most of the Shinra plot lines of he's the one who's like, no, we can't kill all these people. No, we shouldn't do that. No, we should do what's best for people. And you find out he's the one who's manipulating Kate Sith. So he has actually been in your party indirectly this whole time and is now in charge of Shinra. Which and is that's how it ends. kind of fun, actually. It is kind of fun. Huh. So that, huh, huh, take a breath, huh. is the plot with missing a but ton of information of Final Fantasy I was going to say, that's, yeah, there's so many details we didn't go into, but it would be, we could talk about the that for an entire episode. So, let's get into the actual playing of the game. Chris, <laughs> played the game on the PlayStation 1 version on your PS2? Yes, on my PS2, PS2 our, our original copy of the game on my, my newer PS2. Yes, and I played the version on the Switch that is pretty much the exact same thing, except that there was a graphical upgrade to it, so it's a bit smoother looking, a bit cleaner looking than the original game is, especially on HD systems. It just kind of smoothed Mm -hmm. everything out, as well as they added two extra features, one being auto limit, which I never used because that was insane. It literally would fill up your limit break immediately and fill up your health at any time you wanted, that's just, I want to play this game as quick as possible. It's cheating. It's just cheating. Uh, the one I did use a lot was times three speed to speed everything up. I was slightly jealous of that one. You- also, the graphical upgrade, upgrade a little bit because time has not been kind to no. that game on big HD Not on TVs. big HD TVs. And uh, we'll, we'll try to post some, I might post some photos on the social media. I did have some stories about it. So if you saw, again, Follow us on social media, GWGW Show. You'll see the stories that I posted about this already. Yes. 
There, there was definitely a couple of points. The submarine minigame oh, looked really not good. No, it was bad. Oh. It was real bad. <laughs> yeah. Just some of the cutscenes just looked way blockier than they did. I feel like they yeah. should have. But yeah, so we Chris did play the original. I played the slightly remastered version, but it didn't really play that significantly different than the original. Other than being on a Switch. So let's get into some of the mechanics. Fairly straightforward uh, RPG mechanics for the most part. This is the game, as we said in the rows, that introduced Materia. That's your magic. It's kind of related to, was that uh, FF5 where you could add and remove? I don't even remember Yeah, I think it was 5 that you could add and remove the different magics. So it's kind of like that where you can, you've got not only magic, but like uh, support abilities, command abilities, um, summons. Those were the big ones. And you had, you put those in slots in your weapon and armor. Yeah. Which, which as you went farther in the game, you got more slots to play with. And that's, you know, the management of which materia are important to go with you when. And sometimes because yeah. the slots, the way the slots work is they're linked or not. So some materia being linked added benefits. So balancing which materia being linked mattered or not. So it changed what slot you put them in and where. So there's a lot of management style there. One thing that wasn't managed well is the inventory of of materia, which was put it wherever Ugh. the heck it lands up so you yeah, can't find anything. Yeah, you couldn't sort it at all. And you couldn't at sort it. At least the items you could sort could not sort materia. I manually I... sorted it because I'm me. Oh, my God. That would have taken... Oh. Yeah, you are you, and <laughs> I... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do I had, it initially. Uh, I did it like halfway through the game. I was like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and I just emptied out every single <sighs> character's materia and then used them. And then them. just manually. I put. I put oh, you would put, have to slot it into someone's. Oh, my God. So I went and put like all the blue materia on one person <laughs> and then all the green on like five other people and then slowly brought them back down. I didn't alphabetize them, though, just by color. Why would you out? Uh, you, uh, okay. You're only slightly neurotic. <laughs> I, had, I had forgotten that materia affected stats. Yes. Yes. Totally forgotten that. So like, it's essentially a sort of balancing mechanic where if you add a ton of materia, yeah, they'll have more MP, but it like absolutely drains their HP. It does. And that, I found that really interesting of like, or your defense would go down or your attack would go yeah. up. And it, I thought that was a good balance as well. One thing I did want to note, in later games, I, I think we confirmed it was starting Final Fantasy VIII. It goes, when mm. you're you're leveling them up, it goes from like Cure to Cura to Curaga. This is still the Cure 1, Cure 2, Cure 3. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that, that was all of, they were just numbers. They which were just is fine. numbers. Sometimes you had ones that were functionally different, so like yes. steel versus mug. Yes. Those were two different or abilities. Full cure versus cure. That yes. But yeah, so sometimes yeah, sometimes they would change a name like that, but in general it was one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, when they And were you moved through that by getting so there was obviously XP for experience and then AP, which I'm assuming stands for something. Ability? points sure because this is really based on some of these were based on like abilities there were a lot of there was, there's a ton of materia in this game so a ton oh, yeah. of magic uh the different types as we mentioned we mentioned all the different colors in the rose segment so we won't go into that uh 
there were just so many ma- the uh, so many summon materia in this game, and I, I definitely I know we talked about the rose, but it just I know they had the espers in six, but it just feels like there were so many more in seven than there were even in six. I think so, and I'm the worst, and I wanted all of them. Oh, I so wanted I would just all have them. loaded all of the characters up with summons. That tracks. And there was like different versions of some of the. I think that was just. I guess that was just Bahamut. It was just Bahamut. Right? There was Bahamut, Neo Bahamut, and and um, Bahamut Zero. Yes. Which why? I it was dragon, bigger dragon, biggest dragon, even bigger dragon. Which all of these had, you know, the big cutscenes. Yes. Of. Non-skippable cutscenes. Non-skippable cutscenes, which for things like Knights of the Round was like five minutes long. It was so like, long. Like, please let me skip. That's why the times three would have been great. The uh, the the way those summons work always led to it led to a fun point in my recent playthrough, where it was some boss, and used like Bahamut. I forget which Bahamut. Bahamut Zero, maybe. Where it like pulls them up on the gigantic rock into the sky yes. and just yeah, yeah. shoots them with a the giant laser. Uh huh. And you beat the boss. And then you go inside, and there's just some random mook that's like, <laughs> I'm going to stop you. And it's like, I just lifted up your boss on a rock and shot him with a dragon. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, I love there, the there idea. There were some kind of absurd moments like that. Like, yeah. I mean, summon, summons that, are really yeah. absurd. Well, yeah. Which I, I'm okay with, other than the take forever they took forever uh the other thing i when it comes to material or a new concept with magic in final fantasy games that i don't know if our i can't remember in any other game definitely not before maybe not after master materials so yes these were materials that if you mastered so if you fully leveled every single type of a material within a category so all the green materia all the yellow materia mm-hmm. all the blue materia you would get the master materia which would be one materia slot and contain every single spell that's within that category. Yeah, which obviously incredibly OP. Useful and broken. Yeah. And broken. But, but it's so broken because it's almost impossible to do. Unless you cheat. Or use a glitch, I should say. Yes. Even then, good lord. I, I can't you were imagine. Talk doing about- that. Yeah, mastering materia in general, where if you got them all to, I guess it wasn't always five stars. It was five stars for most of them. Most of them some were of the, five. Some of the abilities and support stuff had less. It would spawn another copy of it. Yes. So free. you could uh, keep leveling it up or sell it. That was a thing. I think it was like HP or MP plus. If you had a maxed out version of one of those... You could sell it for so much gill. So I had a, I found out because when I was doing my chocobo breeding, you need to buy a ton of greens, which are not cheap. And mm-hmm. so I went and I was like, I was like, how do I quickly make gill? And they're like, here are the eight ways you can make gill. Or if you sell a mastered all material, you get one. Oh, that's what I'm thinking yeah, of. One point two million gill. And I was like, well, I have like five mastered alls. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna sell one. <laughs> And then I never had money problems again. You know what I just did? The W item glitch. I mean, I did that too. That's what I used for the greens. You can do that on the greens? Yeah, because they're battle items. You can't do it for the nuts. You could do it for the greens. Uh, Yeah, you don't need that many nuts, though, to be fair. No. 
Uh, yeah, so... And you couldn't buy those anyways. Yeah, you had to steal them. Yeah. Again, something that's very difficult to do without the guide. Because yes. even if you found out this is the kind of nut you need from, like, for it to do the certain breeding... Yeah. It did it it's I think that they eventually told you you can get them from certain creatures in this certain area and they weren't specific at all of what those creatures were. No. Or at least it was stealing most of the time and not morphing, which was another ability that was essentially you had to kill the enemy and it would turn them into an item. Is that how it worked? It had to be the death blow? I think so. Yeah. I never used it because it was too much of a pain in the butt to use. I I tried it on the Tonberry in the battle arena because I was panicking. So I was like, it's gonna oh, murder yeah. me. And I know Tonberry <laughs> can evolve into a ribbon, which is super helpful. Right. So I or not evolve, morph into a ribbon. Morph, yeah. And so I was like, morph, morph, morph. I thought it could happen mid-battle, but that makes way more sense that it's the final hit. I'm I'm pretty sure. I never used it because it was so inconvenient yes. and most of the time, you could get some of those items through easier methods. Yes, but there's some that you can't, which, again, the guide is crucial for to getting. Yes. <sighs> anyway, so now that we've covered the materia, something else that was really common in a lot of Final Fantasy games, not all of them as we've now discovered, but a lot, are job classes. They don't exist in this game. No. Not and- in the traditional way. I know. Well, much... no, it's it's more it's it's much more in the Final Fantasy VI. I was going to say it's like Final Fantasy VI. Each character has a role. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, each character has a role, an innate role that you don't have to follow, but they're clearly based on. So Tifa was yeah. a monk. That's why she only mm-hmm. used her fits. Fit, fits. Right. Fists. Eris was the healer. Sid was a dragoon because he had the lances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that that's what makes sense for all these characters. It's interesting, too, because their limit breaks then are very similar to those abilities that they the yes. characters had in FF6. And I never made the connection that, like, Tifa, who, again, is a monk, used fist, in her limit break, one of them is, like, su- not summer, su- it's, I forget what it's called now. It's, like, Meteor Drive or something like that that she does. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, um... It's saving. Suplex. It's saving suplex. Yeah. And I was like, it's the suplex. It's it's the ghost had, train suplex. I had totally forgotten about that until the first time I saw it, and I suplexed a gigantic dragon. Yes. And I was just like, oh, neat. It's suplex. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's saving suplex. So it was, it, it, that's where they're much more reminiscent of the limit breaks are basically Final Fantasy VII's version of those abilities that we saw in yeah. FF6. Which I I thought dictated. Obviously, you had to have Cloud in your potty, party most of the time. Party, <laughs> Barrett. I kept mostly because long range and AEO and, attacks. Yeah, like AOE. all of his AOE. limit breaks were 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 AOE. Yeah. Um, and and Eris, I went back and forth between Tifa and Yuffie. Eris was really helpful because she had the healing, and having a healing limit break was super helpful, obviously. It was, until you didn't have it anymore. And then Yuffie has a healing one, which was... She does have a healing one, but it's very early on. It's only level one. Yeah. So the way that the limit breaks work, which is also kind of an interesting way to level up aside, you've got four levels, 
You've got the first one. Depending on the character. Depending on the character, that's true. Based on what percentage of damage that that character takes in battle and every given attack that they receive, their limit gauge goes up. When it's full, you could use their limit break. It's really neat because the ATB like instantly fills up. The first time, yeah. The first time, yeah, the first turn. And so the first limit break in any given level, you have to use a certain amount of times before you could get the second level. Yes. And once that happens, you have to kill a certain amount of enemies to get the next level. Depending on the person. Depending on the person. So yeah, so there aren't job classes, there are abilities. The limit breaks really go there. ATB, as you mentioned, this is a turn-based battle system. ATB fills up. It is ongoing, so like if you just sit there and do nothing, your enemies can get getting attacks on you. Which can be useful, as it was in 6. Yes. There were ways to change that. There was your your generic haste, yeah. slow, stop. Of course. Again, stop very helpful versus taunt berries. Yes, because they just amble towards you and then stab you once and kill you. Murderize. We talked about the weapons and equipment really in having the, the materia slots and every single character has their own style weapon, which is fun. Uh, and each weapon is different. Yes. And they like, look different. And, like the can opener. Yeah, they look different. Like, yeah, we talked about the can opener. Barrett had a ton of those that just looked wild. Really weird. He had like scissors. Yeah. He had some uh, he weird had Just one. like a spike ball. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting with, we- uh, with Weapon. With Barrett and Yuffie, both had weapons that could either be long range or short range. And so that actually yes. would be really important. It wasn't just the materia slots or even the strength of the weapons you're looking at. There are some battles that you really want to go in with a long range weapon or a long range character. And so you had to make sure that that character was had a long range weapon, which I thought was another dynamic of that that was really interesting. They weren't always long range. Yeah. Uh, well, that was, that uh, was a boss battle early on in the Shinra, the first time you go to the Shinra yes. building, where you need a long range weapon. And it's like... I got to go to this piece of junk one that I got rid of like five levels ago if I want to do anything. Exactly. They do fix that later. You get materia. You get long range materia. Unless you miss it like I did. (laughs) I didn't realize until I couldn't go backwards anymore. Where was that one? It was before you went in the materia cave. Or it was in the materia cave or something like that. Not materia cave. um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That early cave you go into, but you can't really go backwards until much later in the game. And yeah. I missed it. And I was like. That's shit. unfortunate because that's very useful material. Oh, God. I know. I never ended up going back because by the time I would, could go back, I was so OP. It didn't matter. I I missed uh, Rameth in the Golden Corral. I know. And you had Golden to Corral, it. Golden Saucer the first time around. And yeah, I had to go reload a save, which is really fun because in the guide. It refers to Rameth, who, you know, like the god of lightning, as ranch. <laughs> and I was like, what is this ranch? Mati- oh. It's Rameth. They just got it wrong. Can we go guy. back to you saying Golden Corral? Yes. I That's did that. True. I did that in the last, in the rows. I called it Golden Corral multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's Wait, probably. There's definitely a buffet. It's a casino. There's, so there's probably a buffet, a buffet in the Golden <laughs> Saucer. Almost called it Golden Corral again. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. So, weapons we have pretty covered. 
Speaking of weapons, we mentioned the weapons. This is capital W weapons, which are bosses that run around in the game. One of them you have to fight a couple times for plot-wise. That he's just known as ult- ultimate weapon, I think is his There's at least two. Ultimate weapon and diamond weapon, I oh, think is another one you have to face. Diamond weapon's the one you have to face as plot. Ultimate weapon is the yeah. one that hangs out over the lake in the third disc. Yes. But Diamond Weapon is another one that was never named until the fans started calling it Diamond Weapon and they retroactively went and was like, yeah, sure, it's a Diamond Weapon. It was just Weapon before that. Diamond Weapon's the one that got shot in the face by the gigantic cannon. Yes, but there are the two optional weapons, which are Emerald, who's under the water that you run into Mm -hmm. the very first, you could run into very early with the submarine, which would be bad. Uh, my my original original playthrough as a kid, I was just like, "What's this thing?" And then I got my Oop. butt handed yeah. to me. I remember one time I dipped under the water while I was doing the playthrough this time, and it was just right in front of me. And I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> that I think there's the the underwater ship or sunken yes, airplane sunken, or something yeah. like that, where it's like it can literally spawn directly outside. Yeah. So if you leave, it could just be right there, and you pretty much have to be like, "Ah, uh, ah!" Uh, surface, 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 surface. And then there's Emer- our Ruby Weapon, which is hiding only on the third disc in the desert of the Golden Saucer. That's the one that we talked about where it helps to go in with two dead party members. Yes. And they give you, obviously, above and beyond rewards, which I don't remember. And by that, I mean because I never got there in my playthrough. Like, I'm not sure I ever beat them. At one point, I must have. Just not in this playthrough. I didn't beat them in this playthrough either. The other thing about those... Are Emerald and Ruby were only added for the Western versions of the game. They actually weren't in the original Japanese version. That's kind of neat and yeah. interesting. And so. Why? Because they wanted to add more endgame stuff. No, that's fair. So they added those in. Uh, they kick your butt, and literally every gu- the guide says it, everywhere says, don't basically do this till you're fully leveled, level 99 of, like, everything. Yeah. And in particular, uh, Emerald Weapon, who's underwater... It helps if you can get the materia, the underwater materia, which helps you breathe mm-hmm. underwater. So otherwise, you have a like. Or else you have, timer. yeah, it's like a yeah twenty minute timer, yeah. which seems like a lot. And then it's not. It's not. <laughs> there was there was a couple of materia slots like that that had very very specific uses and yeah. not much else. Yeah. Like I guess mostly that and chocobo lore. Yes, chocobo lore. Which I guess but technically then- chocobo lore was luck up. Essentially. And then, but there was enemy lure and then enemy repel. Those were ones you would only do in certain circumstances. Right. Uh, But those you also randomly got in the Golden Saucer a lot of time. Golden Saucer, well, yeah, the Golden Saucer had a a ton of content once you had time to go back there. Mini games, which is our next subject. There were so many mini games in Final Fantasy VII, more than we even remembered in the Rose segment. You know, oh, yeah. And I, I really found it funny. So there were a ton, like we mentioned, like the Chocobo Racing, Breeding, the Fort Condor, the mm-hmm. Motorcycle minigame, the Submarine minigame. The one we forgot that I, I can't believe we forgot was the Snowboarding minigame. Oh, I was so bad at snowboarding. So bad at snowboarding. All, all those things were also things that you did in the game prior to that. That's what I was going to say. It's really fascinating is these are all things you do in the game and then they're available to redo in the Golden Saucer. Yeah. And that's so funny. That's where there were truly mini games. 
But I almost appreciate that the, the developers are like, no, we put so much time into doing these weird offshoot games for plot yeah. reasons that we're we'll going to give you an opportunity. Fort Condor, I also realized I missed a ton of Fort Condor content because you can go back like five or six or seven times for different items, like exclusive oh, items. Yeah. If you don't go back at certain points in the game plot-wise, you miss those items forever because there's only one that's crucial plot-wise that you do. And if you yeah. just, once you do that, you can't do all the other ones. You just miss out on all these. All Like, they're not hugely exclusive, but it's just things that, like... And the guide, the guide was just like, check back occasionally. Yeah, I, I skipped most of Fort Condor. I like the idea. I think I did but... two or three battles at most outside yeah. of the one required. But yeah, minigames galore. Chocobo breeding, as we said, was a minigame all itself. You only really need five to start with. Yes. Which isn't as many as I thought. If you don't want to inbreed. If you don't want to inbreed. Two regular... Because, yeah, there's one where it's like you can't... Is there a cooldown time? Yes, there is a cooldown. You have to do like five battles in between before you can breed again. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's, it's like two regular chocobos. Two greats. They're the right class. Because the chocobos, great. they yeah. have levels of chocobo. Like in modern Pokemon games, not the original, there's a like rating system of your chocobo. Yeah. And what you find out by talking again to the chocobo guru and people is certain areas have better chocobo. So you can't just randomly get a good, great chocobo right next to the chocobo farm. No, you have to go to the Medell Island to get great chocobos. Mm-hmm. Um, so two greats. You can breed with a special nut to get a blue or a green chocobo. And the blue can run over water. Green can run over blue mountains. Blue can run over light water. Only like light very water. shallow water. Okay. So like kind of like where you're uh, the, the, the wild bronco. Yeah. The wild bronco. Yes. Where the wild bronco, the ship can kind of go over. So, and then... You need, if you breed the green and the uh, blue together, you get a black chocobo. Yes. Which can do both mountains and water. Then you take the black chocobo and breed it with a wonderful chocobo, which the only place you can get wonderful chocobos is up in the icicle area. Mm-hmm. And the, then you get the golden chocobo from which those go two. Everywhere. Which goes everywhere, which is the only way, you, as we mentioned, you can get Knights of the Round. And you could carry these chocobos in the high wind. Yeah, I like that. That was one. Which is nice. Which, uh, the vehicles were great. It did the normal Final Fantasy where you get vehicles that are more and more capable throughout the course of the game. Yeah. The the high wind, your airship, is the... Final you know, vehicle. Well, I guess the golden chocobo is the final vehicle. Well, yeah, okay. That's fair. But the, the high wind has your, your healer. Yeah. And your safe spot, yep. and your and your chocobo, you know, all that, and your chocobo. By the way, I forgot that uh, if you talk to the crew members, they like level up I as you only, go through the plot. I love it. I love. Yeah, I love that they level up. Like the pilot at one point was like limit break. <laughs> yeah, and like their their dialogue changes too. Yeah. Like they get more confident as they level up. It's awesome. I, I like little things like that. Um, but yeah, there's the as you said the Bronco which was a broken down plane that basically acted like a boat. Yeah. Actually, like the canoe, specifically the canoe of other games. It was very much the canoe that was shallow water. Yes. Then you, you had, had the, the buggy that could go over land over a couple specific spots that yeah. you couldn't walk over. The I submarine. Think that might have been. 
Submarine, yeah, that's a big one because there's a whole underwater area. And then the airship, as we said, the high wind. Yeah. <gasps> okay. We've gone over the mechanics of this game. We've gone over the plot of the game. I guess it's finally time to just talk about the how we felt playing the game. Good lord, we're so we're just getting into how we felt playing the game. I, I liked it a little, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> uh, so yes, I yeah, I absolutely loved this playthrough. I I wanted to finish it, but unfortunately did not have the time to do it. Yeah, and I it, I did finish yeah. the game. It's on street. It's on Twitch. Check out the the VOD if you want. I did finish it. I did have the kind of. I feel like I need to go back and try to beat Sephiroth not using Knights of the Round because beating Sephiroth in like three hits felt wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's. I feel like that was one of those self imposed challenges that we did. Yeah. Oh, we definitely did. Kids. I remember there was another time we did it where we beat the game. With Cloud having the Buster Sword, which is his very first oh, weapon, yeah. <laughs> but just so that we could have the image of him winning with the Buster Sword. Yeah, because it looked different. Uh, there was there was a lot of replayability to this game. Oh, say yeah. that. Uh, I mean, not even replayability as much as depth. So like, much, and so like yeah, we I did most of the side quests. I did all the Chocobo racing, all the Chocobo breeding. Mm. I got the the fancy materia. I didn't, as I said, fight the weapons because they were really really hard. But, you know, I did most of the Golden Saucer stuff. I did, you know, meeting all the different characters. I did Yuffie's whole side quest, which is her yep. tower and stuff like that, and learning about her line, and that she's, like, the daughter of the leader of Wutai and all that, mm -hmm. you know. Well, that's it, how you get Leviathan, That right? is how you get Leviathan. There's the battle arena in the Golden Saucer. Oh, my God, the is, battle arena. That one is incredibly tough because it's... So it's you fight a round of battle and then you go to the next level. With only one character. And like only one character. And I don't think you could use outside items or anything. Like you have to use them inside battle. Yes. It like automatically goes from battle to battle. Yeah. But every round you get a, a slot machine wheel and it's some sort of, you know, 90% of the time it's something bad happens. Like half health, attack down. Half health. Like certain materials that are break. good. Materia break. You lose all type of a certain type of materia. So, and the interesting thing is, you use this to do the battle arena if you beat the whole thing or if you quit at a, any point during it. Because you could say at the end of a round, I don't want to keep going. You keep your battle yep. points. There's multipliers as you keep going, obviously. And you use those battle points to get Cloud's final... Um, uh, his limit break is how yeah. in the battle arena, as well as W summon, so you can do to more than one summon at a time. So it's so it's kind of important. Yeah, to do. well worth it. Even but if it's... it can be very slow because both of those were like thirty two thousand sixty four thousand battle points, and on average, yeah. you get like I think the most you can come out of one run of it is ten thousand. Yeah, <laughs> which is a lot. But the thing is there's some luck to how many points you get because it's based on what your penalties are. Right. So if you get if you get lucky and get all easy penalties, it's easier to win, mm -hmm. but you get less battle points. You'll only end up with like 4,000 at the end. Mm -hmm. I probably spent 10 hours in the battle arena. Genuinely, I spent oh. an obscene amount of time because I kept failing over and over it's again. Hard. It's hard. It's really things. hard. I kept getting like auto death by stupid Tonberry or I, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd get like... Half health, half health, half health, half health, 
and then hit a monster that does 4,000 damage and I have 1,000 to start with. So there's nothing I can do. Like, it was so frustrating. Uh, With the Chocobo racing, if you held the shoulder buttons and held down the speed up, it would just keep going. Mm-hmm. Like you would just keep getting faster and faster without draining any of your stamina. Your stamina wouldn't go, yeah. I mean, you still yeah. have a limit to how fast you can go because your chocobo has limits, but yeah. But you would like you you would not lose ever if you steered around unless you were racing against the black chocobo. Yeah, the named chocobo would... riders. That's when you could lose. Yeah. Yeah, I found that too. I would actually let it auto race half the time, and I would still win, especially once I got the wonderful chocobo and the. Because it was its stats were so oh, yeah. like high that it like wrecked every. The worst part of that, and this is where the speed up really helped, is I would auto race, mm. mm-hmm. and he would finish with the rest of the racers halfway through the race still, and you have to wait until one other racer finishes before you can yeah. exit. And yep. so you just sit there in the race, and you're just bouncing on your chocobo, and you're just, just like, oh, God, why? I This doesn't matter. And so I would always times three that so they'd speed up and catch up to me. Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah, the battle arena was tough. And there are certain things, like, once you get Cloud's final weapon, his final limit break, and W summon, the battle arena's like, hey, you're really good, actually, how about you try our exclusive extra hard one? <laughs> um, and so it's through there is the only way you can get there are certain items that you can win as prizes. And the only way to do it is if you do the extra hard one. Right. Which I only did like once or twice and was like, no, this is too hard. But yeah, we lo- I loved this game. Playing through it again, it was so easy to go back and play it again. The mechanics just felt so natural to fall back into. The timing of the battles and how to balance the materia out between different characters and getting the weapons and upgrading the armor like it was just it was so easy for me there was there was stuff that i one of those like you don't remember until you see it again like a lot of the animations of the characters in not cutscenes, but like the the real world in-game cutscene type stuff like everything that barrett did was always bombastic over the top and hilarious yes most of the time. And I just, that's what it's like, oh yeah, like when he gets mad and starts like pounding his chest or or stuff like that. And it's like, that was really good. Yeah. They were emotive. Like these yeah. little polygons were emotive. I loved the cutscenes that weren't the FMVs. So you still weren't controlling, but it was like, so it was your blocky characters doing these yeah. really emotional things that just made me giggle sometimes. Like there was one where like, where the cloud is catatonic and he starts like falling at one point and it's supposed to be so dramatic as he's falling into the life stream and yeah. it's just his little polygon being just like, like yeah. <laughs> it's like all right <laughs> i should have like been more upset but it's just funny i liked a couple of the transitions between regular cutscenes and the fmvs mm-hmm. i thought that was that was fairly cleverly done and part of that's because they had they had a lot of parallax like layers yeah. of the backgrounds, which I thought that stuff still held up not bad. Although I guess someone on, on Facebook was talking about I I couldn't remember that part. So that was well, for, obviously because I haven't played it. So for that was for the comment about the backgrounds was for me. Yeah, because it's only on the HD remasters that this is really a problem. Yeah. So because they make everything smoother and look better, there are certain scenes which on old school games is on on 
surprising that the background is literally just a flat painting, essentially, that you mm-hmm. like run into the background from the foreground. There's a couple scenes. Going into the City of the Ancients, this happens. Going, I think, like, leaving Midgard happens. There's a couple mm-hmm. of scenes where this happens, where it's a flat background that you're running towards, basically. Um, yeah. In the original game, it looked fine. Because it was all, like, the graphics kind of match. Right. But because they enhanced the front graphics a little bit on the remaster, it was so much more obvious to me that that was a flat background that I was oh, running. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, this is just, it's one of the notes I actually wrote down, not realizing it was only the HD version that happened. And then I went back and checked. It was, mm-hmm. oh my God, were the backgrounds always this obviously like flat <laughs> paintings? Because they just, it looks so, but it was also really frustrating because I was like, I'm still running. I don't know when I'm supposed to stop because I just look like I'm yeah. running straight at a wall. Like, it's, it's like the old Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones uh, cartoons where they just run through the background. Exactly. Their, uh, like, that's what it kind of felt like. But with it, their it's, silhouette. It's definitely way more obvious. I think, I mean, it was in the original game a bit, but I think it's way more obvious in the remastered versions because they cleaned up the art a bit. They don't blend quite as well. They, while right. they upgraded and smoothed out the main polygons and stuff, that didn't change the background. The background's just a solid piece no matter what. So I think it just, they didn't blend as well because of that. I thought the um, the variety of gameplay mechanics, even like, I mean, we talked about the mini games, but there was stuff like when you climbed the mountain, you had to stay warm mm-hmm. or you, you were wandering through the ice area and after a certain amount of time, you would collapse if you weren't quick enough. That freaking ice area, if you didn't have a guide and even with the guide, I have no freaking clue (laughs) how you would do that and get some of the items there so like in particular the summon alexander which is a very strong summon Uh is in the ice maze yes and you have to go down a particular like five or six particular paths and go in a certain direction at a certain time from a certain way to get to alexander and even with the guide it didn't explain it well and I had no idea no, the guide what I was, was doing. Good at telling you things you didn't know, but didn't do a very good job of explaining. It skipped some areas. It just didn't yeah. show some of the areas. Like there's one, like there's a big open plane, and it just tells you, like, yeah, you can find something there. Yeah, but you need to head in certain directions on this big, wide open plane that you have no idea what you're doing in order to get there. Oh, so oh, I hated that. Stu- I I got that's another area I got I, stuck in. I collapsed directly in front of Alexander. Oh the no! The first time I went to go get it. Oh no! I was like, it's right there. Oh, I would back at the old man's house. I would have been so mad. <clears throat> that's an interesting spot. That it's specifically in that ice maze is one of the assets that people have found where there is a dialogue option for Eris, and she's oh. dead by then obviously not obviously but she's dead by then in the game so people Mm -hmm. aren't sure if that's the implication that maybe she wasn't going to die which from everything on the development side of things doesn't seem right to me because it sounds like they plan to kill her pretty early in development Uh but more likely that maybe you were going to go to this area earlier in the game before she yeah that's that's fair but still that was one of the things that people thought was a clue of oh she was meant to be alive this whole time so yeah there were still very frustrating elements of this game Absolutely. And and some of them had to do with the older style of how how the game played and everything like that. But in general, 
Yeah, it was still it was still so much fun. Leveling was fun. I didn't find myself skipping random battles as often in this game as I have in other Final Fantasy games. Like mm. I didn't want to do the enemy repel really ever. Like I just Oh yeah, no. I just feel like I enjoyed it. I feel like the I just the world expanded in a, a healthy ways across the board. You know, it just it felt more natural at times. And maybe this is the bias of I just love this game, so I just wanted yeah. to I forgive it for things that maybe I didn't forgive other games for. Yeah, this is this is hard to play this game uh without without the rose tintedness because mm-hmm. we've played it early and often. Yeah. Uh, I thought the characters were were good they were fairly fleshed out i mean vincent didn't really other than he was dark and broody and and his the love that he loved who let's be honest they never said she liked him back stro he just is sad that she's dead and she's not dead though she's just there that's what you find out she kind of just exists in this other existence because she was injected with genova cells genova cells are (laughs) bad people don't do it it's bad for you oh that's something we didn't reveal you find out that sephiroth is in fact the child of lucretia and who is vincent's love and hojo who she loved she fell for hojo which choices and they had a kid together and they injected it full of genova cells where was that side quest? Or not side quest, side exposition. In, I remember well, watching only that Only when you go to the, the cave, her cave, to get his weapons and stuff. Yeah. That's where that's all explained. You go in the no, sub- didn't the, you talk to, because like they got raided by, oh no, I'm thinking Dr. Gast. Yes, that's different. Which was a different exposition dump. Yes. I, I won't lie. I love the story. I was desperately trying to go through this game as quick as possible. Some of the exposition is long. Oh my god, there's a lot of talking. Yeah. And and again, a lot of times it is just dumps of information. So like when you uh, find yeah. out Barrett's history of like A, the town that he tried to he was from, how he kind of got it destroyed by accident by agreeing to right. Shinra, helping Shinra. And then his daughter isn't isn't his daughter. Marlene's not Barrett's biological daughter he, no, it's, it's his best dine's, dine's yeah. biological daughter but he thought dine was dead so he he raised her and then and then dine does die so it's fine <laughs> we haven't talked about the music oh my god i mean we talk about it in the rose we talk about it in the rose segment but it's, and we it's briefly still, touched it's still on good. it earlier yeah the reminder for this i mean one winged angel all the music the battle music the boss music all boss of it's great I always forget that the overworld music, when you're on like the big map, is really yeah. good. The problem is once Meteor shows up, which is about halfway through disc two, you only get the Meteor music, and you're like, you just I... get that like drudge yeah. that's really depressing to listen I'm like, to. I-, I miss the overworld music. Can we yeah. go back to that? I mean, the, they were really good with the theming. Anytime a character would show up, like. Genova's music would always play. Obviously, Sephiroth's music would always play. Or Eris's music they used really well even after she died. So it was these moments yeah. of like, you feel her presence and her little like music would play in the background. And yeah, I thought that the theme music was great. You knew whose area, you knew what backstory you were about to encounter based on the back, right. on, on the music, which is always fun. Like Barrett's, when we we're in Barrett's area. Or even like, you know, Kate Sith, when he starts going into like, I do work for Shinra, but I'm trying to help people and blah, blah, yeah. blah. He sacrifices himself, even if it's not, you know. Him. 
a real him. Oh, the Turks. As we talked about, we love the Turks. They have their own theme music. They have their too. own theme as well, yeah. I do also. Reno, Rude. Elena. Uh, and Elena. I appreciate that the very last battle you have with the Turks in the uh, the tunnels under Midgar, uh, like the train tunnels under Midgar, yeah. is optional. That's right. If you just go the other way. No, not even if you even... go the other way. Literally, they're like, we're the Turks. It's time to fight. Yeah, we have to face each other. And Cloud has two options. It's like, let's do it. And the other That's option right. is like, nah, I don't feel like it. And I tried that one time. because Literally on this playthrough, I did that. Yeah. And it was like, no, nah, I don't feel like it. Because I thought they would force me to fight anyway. And I thought that was a funnier answer. And they're like, oh, okay. Bye then. And then they just Bye. leave. And I was like, wait, no, no. You have items I need to steal. Come back. <laughs> That's, that's why I was like, I'm pretty sure you need to steal stuff from them, which is why I always Yeah, because they them. each have really strong armor that you need to steal from them. But it was just funny. I actually had to restart back to the save. because like, wait, no, come back. I wanted to steal from you. <laughs> but yeah, that is a completely optional battle, which is hilarious. Yeah. The game is, it's just, it's, there's so much to it. It's such a deep game and there's so much lore to it. In the game itself, even before you get to all the extra stuff they've added since and the remake and all of that. There's just so much ingrained lore, but it's funny how much of the game doesn't have those classic Final Fantasy elements now that we really see them. So, like, yeah. Moogles aren't really a big part of this game. We have no. Kate Sith running around on a Moogle, and we have mm. the Moogle game in the Golden Saucer, but that's kind of it. Like, there's no other Moogles that you run into. No. Which is really interesting. I don't even think they run by... They might run by in, like, one one random, like... UI screen to introduce something. Yeah, but... maybe, but just they're just not used like nearly as much no. as you do in other games. And I mean, obviously there's chocobos. Obviously, yeah, there's chocobos, so that that's still a thing. But it's it's different. Like the whole idea of owning and breeding a chocobo was not a thing until this game. Oh no. Yeah. Now it's almost was... like a standard of Final Fantasy games, but it wasn't until this game really. And yeah. and there's like cactuars, but you only can encounter them on one particular island that you have to fly to. Yes. So like you know, a lot of people might never encounter them, and they're just such a classic monster of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, you know, tonberries I hit in the arena, and I think tonberries are also in the final northern crater. They are in the crater. Okay. Yeah. So you do Same run into thing them. With, uh, <clears throat> that's one thing about magic the northern pots. the northern crater that really bothers me is once you're in the crater, you can't leave again. Once you're in a certain part of the crater. Pretty much the whole thing, I thought. No, because that was the old trick of... That was the, the old trick that I always used with the W item with elixirs. I know, but like I couldn't figure out how to get back out. I tried. Really? Is that because I... Huh. Again, didn't get there, unfortunately, so... We'll have to... Correct us. I really message thought, us if we're wrong here, people. But I yeah, couldn't get out of the Yeah, that's how Northern I really crater. thought how you leveled up all your materia. Yes, so I thought so, too. So you could so do too. all that other stuff. And yet I couldn't leave. Hmm. It's got an interesting mechanic there where um, there's no save points, but they, like, give you one to set They give down. you a save crystal to put wherever you yeah. want. And so I put it at the, like the last point where your whole party is waiting for you to decide who's going in to fight Sephiroth, which was another thing I found out with the Sephiroth final Sephiroth battle. As we said, there's levels to the Sephiroth battle, but specifically 
if you don't beat him quickly enough in the very first version of it, like first time you encounter the first stage, that's the version. If you don't beat him quickly enough, the first stage, he sweeps your whole party aside. And then the, another party pops up. So you have to make three parties of your whole group. And, um, so like you, not just your main three party, but like you have to, everyone has a party. So there's two parties right. of three and then a party of two, I think. That's, and, that was a holdover from, not a holdover, but they used that kind of FF6. Yes. Where you lined up. But the problem with this is like, I was like, oh, I have to add materia to everyone now. Oh, yeah. That's annoying because you don't have enough unless you're really, really grindy. Yeah. And so I went, to, I started doing that when I was doing the final playthrough since I was doing it on a stream. And someone's like, you don't have to do this if you kill him quickly enough. And I was like, okay. And because Knights Hi. of the Round is OP, I just killed him before he could have a chance to swipe my party away. I was like, oh. That would have been an interesting mechanic. Annoying, but interesting. Because if any one in your, if like any one full party dies, you lose. It doesn't matter if your other two parties are just fine. If you get yeah. a TPK, you lose. So you actually have to be really strategic of who you put in which party and what material you give them. Right. Which is really interesting. And that's, I will say that's the nice thing is while the non-main party members who you're not actively using don't level up as quickly they do level up along with you to a certain extent. So just because you're, you're you're not using someone, they will slowly go up. So like my main party by the end, I think was like level 65, 62, and 61. And mm-hmm. then the rest of my party was like anywhere from like 56 to 58. So, so that's not terrible. Not terrible. And I did try to rotate a little bit. So I think that's why they were as close as they were, but it wasn't terrible. But they do that, I think, because of this end game where you have to possibly use your whole team and how right. unfair it would be if you didn't know that and you only leveled up three people and suddenly you're in end game and you have a level 20s fighting Sephiroth. <laughs> like that would be wildly unfair. So, so that at least was nice. So overall again we keep saying this we love this game the music was great everything was great we had so much fun but i think it's fine we've had so much to talk about and you know we could be here for another 20 30 minutes probably talking about this game at least because we have we we can't we just can't keep going we're just gonna keep (laughs) repeating ourselves maybe one day we'll release some of our notes online so you see how ridiculous we are with all the notes that we wrote about this game but until we do that chris what is your final score for Final Fantasy VII? It's a nine and a half. Like I, I loved it, loved it. Part of that's probably still rose tinted stuff, but I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I didn't finish it, and I was very, very upset about that. I want to go back and finish it if I've got time. You still can, and with the next game we have scheduled, you might be able to. That's true. What about you? I have to give it a nine and a half as well. I know nostalgia is playing a part of that. I know nostalgia is influencing it. I don't care. I love this game still. It's still yeah. so much fun. I enjoyed playing it. I looked forward to going back and playing it more. It's just such a great game. I'm going to go back and play more and try to beat the weapons. I want to beat the weapons. I want to do more of the mm-hmm. side stuff. So I'm going to keep going. Maybe I'll figure out how to get out of the crater. We'll find out. <laughs> I love this game. And... I don't think anything would change that. I I have played the remake, as I mentioned. I plan on talking about that again next week in the next episode. I've played yep. a lot of the side games. I'll be playing more of the side games when they be re- when they get remastered. I just this franchise means the world to me still. I love mm-hmm. this game. It it is such a marker in our gaming history. It means oh, so yeah. much to me. So many happy memories associated of playing the game, actually of the game itself, but all the history behind it, as we mentioned in the rose. 
it just means so much. I love this game. Anyone who has a chance to play this game should play this game, in my opinion. It's a tough RPG. I know if you're not into that, I guess don't play it. But like, it's so much fun. I, I highly recommend at least trying it. It's available on so many platforms at this point. Oh, yeah, now? Play it if it's, you have a chance. Yeah, you it's should. So if, you, if you are a JRPG fan and somehow have not played this game yet, play it. And if play you're it with a, guide. a fan who's played it in the past. Play the end game a with a guide. Yeah. If you haven't played it in a while, go back and play it again. It's so much fun. I had a ton of fun. It's time to finally wrap this episode up. So, Chris, what's our next game that we're going to be covering? Our next game is going to be the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for the SNES. Woo! Side-scroller brawler. Completely different. Completely different. <laughs> uh, but it should be a ton of fun. That'll be out in four weeks, as always. Like I said, reminder, next week will be another episode about Final Fantasy VII, but this time the remake. So look forward to that. It will be just me. I'm probably going to rope producer Kyle into actually talking, so you'll hear more of producer Kyle finally <laughs> talking about it. But again, thank you so much to everyone for joining us on the streams, for talking to us on social media. We love hearing from you. Definitely come join us if you haven't before. GWGW Show on Twitch, on Instagram, on Twitter. Games we grew up with on Facebook or YouTube. We love hearing from you all. We love interacting with you all. Thank you for listening. You guys are awesome. You guys are great. That's why we're doing it. Big thank you to the producers. Keeping us in line, making sure we're doing everything we need to. Giving us hints every once in a while. Couldn't do it without you guys either. Thanks so much, guys. And I think that's how we have to end. So say goodbye, Cloud. Goodbye, Cloud. Bye, everyone. Oh, that was a burp. Anyway, moving on.